If you don't take responsibility for your own life, you cannot fix what you do not own. It is absolutely what it boils down to. And I had to come to accept that I, I have this debt. That is my responsibility. I need to address it. I need to address it for myself, for my kids to have that stability. And that is what kept me moving forward. And sometimes people look at me today and the, the few that know that I have rental properties and whatnot, and they say, well, you just got lucky. But I don't believe in luck. I believe that I worked very hard. I researched. I did a lot to get myself in a position so that I became lucky. I did my homework. And I didn't allow fear to keep me from doing things. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 130. Clark, what's going on? How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing great. We were just talking a little bit before before the show on uh, whether or not we see massive opportunity or if it's if it's a setback for us right now financially in this market. And I'm sure everybody's going to have an opinion all over the board depending on whether or not how far you're invested in, in stocks and whether you're riding the, the market right now or possibly your age or whether or not you are unemployed or have lost a job or been furloughed. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, I think it totally depends, like you just said, on, on age group is a big piece of it, right? So people that are our age and, you know, 20s, 30s and probably even young 40s look at it as, I mean, you've lost a lot if you've had it in the stock market. Just in an S&P index, I think the low was like, 35% or something at the mid end of March. And now that's up 50%. So you went down 30 or 40% or something, and now you're back up. And the S&P is only down now, I think 17% or 15% off the high. So it's interesting, you know, our parents' generation, so over 50 years old, you're probably like, oh my gosh, I've lost I've lost a lot. And, and understandably so. If, our, if you're our age, you look at it probably as an opportunity, right? And then obviously it depends on how leveraged you are if you have something like real estate, because that could, even if you have money on the sideline, if you're having to throw it at real estate, that's not much of an opportunity for you. Yeah, totally. Kind of interesting to think about. And I think definitely a, a great time for people to reevaluate maybe their strategies and their finances and kind of set themselves up for, you know, what will be hopefully a, a nice recovery. And, you know, this is the kind of time, you know, if you look back to 08, you look at these companies that were born out of that recession that all of us utilize now. It's crazy. I mean, you, you look at the Uber and you look at the Slack and I'm trying to think of the other payment processing company to Stripe. I mean, some of these companies just are, are massive. They affect so much of our daily life. And they were born during the last recession. I'm sure we'll have a bunch more that come out of this. I know a couple of people that have said, look, quarantine pushed me over the edge. I'm starting this new business. You know, so hopefully we get we'll get some more great things and great companies to come from it. So on today's show, we got Tiffany. She's a remarkable story going from losing her job and being on unemployment for two years to becoming a millionaire. Her net worth is $1.7 million. She's got just over a million in real estate between rentals and her primary residence. She has another half a million dollars invested in the market and retirement funds. And then the rest is, is in some cash and some other uh, IRAs. On last week's show, we had Michael. His net worth about $700,000. He's a data scientist. We discussed his early start, his investment allocation, the steps he's taking to become a millionaire at a very young age. We also discussed his 
career progression and what it means to take calculated risks. Also, if you're interested in sharing your financial story, let us know. Millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'd love to sit down with you and, and have a discussion and get your story on the podcast and, and out to our, our thousands of listeners. Also, if you're interested in any multifamily real estate deals, uh, we'll be putting some more together here soon. I know some of you reached out and we've, we've been kind of on hold for a little bit with some of those, just given the pricing in the market and then some other things. And, and now we're starting to see some, some pop up. So love to get on the phone with you. Once again, we've got some, some opportunities right now for, for some accredited investors and, uh, we'll get on the phone with you and, and have a discussion. So without further delay, let's get into the interview with Tiffany. Tiffany, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Sure. Uh, so my background is, is my story starts in about 2008, 2009. Um, I found myself at, um, with a amount of debt of a negative $255,000. And um, from that, my the housing market, if you guys remember, housing market collapsed, the job market, stock market. Um, I also lost my job. I found temp jobs between 2009 and 2013, and I was on unemployment for almost two years in that time. I still was able to, even with all of that, I was still able to uh, get to where I am today. And that's that's why I want to share my story so people know that even if you start a little later, that you can still catch up and get to that financial independence. That's awesome. And what's your net worth today? It's about 1.7. Wow. And how? what's kind of the breakdown of that 1.7? Uh, it's, uh, so I have, uh, rental properties that are about 730, and then I have my home in there, which is about 325. And then on the cash side, it's about half retirement and half non-retirement. Uh, so about 472 in index fund type, um, accounts, and then about 208 in an IRA, about 167 in a 401k, 29 in a Roth, some emergency money and HSA pretty much make it up. That's 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 great. So let's get into to some of the details there. Have you always contributed to to a Roth in your IRA? Uh, no. I like I said, I, I the story starts around two thousand eight nine and so um even though I had temp jobs, I, I always contributed to a four one K and then when the temp job would end I would take it and roll it into an IRA. And so that's how that grew. Um, and so I really started Really doing more of that after after 2009, and today I have a I have a permanent job, and I always max out my 401k. I max out putting the money in the Roth, and max out my HSA. And and how long have you been maxing out those accounts? Since 2014. Okay, so really you've done a lot of this, at least on the on the market investments in the last five or six years. Is that correct? Yes. Wow. I know. That's pretty spectacular. When you think about it, right? Like you've really done a lot of the, the the legwork before then, but really it's kind of grown in the last five to six years. So let's let's get into a little bit of the real estate. When did you start getting into rental properties? So when you're unemployed, you have a lot of free time. And I did a lot of homework, a lot of reading, um, a lot of the Robert Kiyosaki books. I talked to a friend of mine who was a realtor um, and talked to uh, my tax accountant, and I just did a lot of homework, put together my first LLC um, back in 2013, and I bought my first rental property then. And then in 2014, um, after I did my taxes, I could show enough income where I was able to get pre-approved for two more rental properties. And then I did my taxes in 2015 and be able to show the bank that I could be 
buy two more. So that's how I ended up with five rental properties. And and what kind of properties are those? Single families, multi, yes. all yes, single all. families. Mm-hmm. And are yeah. they in in the same area where you live or close to? Yes, they're they're close to. Um, they're about ten minutes outside the downtown area. Pretty convenient location. They're all about thousand square feet, more or less. Hi. Right, so I, I want to come back to your market investments too to kind of see what's invested in there. But let's run with this real estate for a little bit. How did you find each of those properties? So. There are neighborhoods just outside of the downtown area that are, we call it the up and coming part, but the property values because it's an old part of the city, uh, they were very low and less than a hundred thousand each. And so they were all fixer uppers and I, you know, worked with my realtor and eventually hired somebody to manage the property and work with them about how much it would cost to fix them up and then the rent and how quickly I could turn all of that around. And so that is how I got involved in the rental property part. And you just find them online or your your agent would find them for you or you just... My agent, yeah, she would find them and then she set up a, a basically just a script so that I could get them emailed to me and then I would mark the ones I thought would be worth my time and then we'd set up time after work and head out and just take a quick look at them. And after a while, you know, you can do the math pretty quick and you take a walkthrough and you know exactly how much it's going to cost to fix it up and how long it's going to take to turn around and rent it. So all about a hundred or, or close to, or just under a hundred for each of those. Oh, they were, yeah, they're all under a hundred. And, um, and, the and first one was 67.5. Oh, wow. The, yeah, that needed the most work. And these are what, two, three bedrooms? Three. Three bed, one, two, one or two baths? One. Okay. And how much do they each run out for? Right now, they're about 1100 each. And how big, do you have a mortgage on them? Are they paid off now? So I, I had individual mortgages and then I ended up finding um, a small bank that would consolidate all of them. And I did a 15 year with a seven year term. Um, mm-hmm. And the consolidating brought my monthly payment down. So right now I owe about 192 on the rental property. Okay, and and so your your total mortgage payment or that mortgage payment, I guess, for the consolidated loans is is how much? About 1830. 1830, and you rent them all five, about a each for what a little more, a little north of five thousand. So you're netting three a month. Is that accurate, give or take? Mm-hmm. More, yeah, more or less. Yeah. And if those, I assume those have appreciated value. They have. The market has gone a little crazy, and so they all are at least double. Wow. And so is the goal to, to hold them? Do you think about selling and buying something new? Do you think about buying more? You know, I think about buying more, but I'm not married to that idea. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to buy more single. And I'm kind of looking at other other options, you know, because I think that was a great learning experience. Right. And so I, um, I would like to keep my options open and see what else what other opportunities there are out there. So property management-wise, do you hire, I, I assume you hire it out or do you self-manage? No, no, I hire it out. Okay, and what do you pay for that? Um, $80 a month for each property. 80 a month, so you're not necessarily a percentage of the rent. No, no, they just do flat $80. Mm-hmm. And have there been any, any issues, any big problems? Have there been a lot of turnover oh, yeah. with your tenants? Not so much the turnover, but I mean, like I said, they were all fixed roughers. So at a minimum, um, I would be okay with a new roof and um, new HVAC system. So right there, that's $10,000. But the, um, the one I had probably the most work on, it needed, you know, you needed to do the floors. So 
paint the, um, I mean, it was just pretty much new kitchen, new bathroom, you name it, uh, new windows. <laughs> uh, yeah. We did everything for that one, but I, I got it for 52. So, you know, you, you buy it for a nickel, you put a nickel in kind of thing, but it's mm-hmm. still worth more than what I put into it. Wow. So I'm just trying to get, give a sense to some people that may be doing this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think yours is a great story to go off of. How, how did you find the contractors? Who did you know? How do you know how to do this? Who'd you go to, to, to do some of this work? I assume once you found somebody that you liked, you kept using them, but how did it start initially? Who did you, did you search online? Was it a recommendation? So I downsized one of the things that I did in 2012 and the realtor that sold my house and bought the house I live in today, um, was also dabbling in purchasing rental property. And so, I started my conversations with her and her husband, and uh, that's how I started my education between that and the Robert Kiyosaki book and talked to my tax accountant about what I can afford and what I can't. And the property management side, they handled all of the contractors and all of the work, the design, everything. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So just backing up or, or switching gears rather to your market investments. Uh, how are those invested? Is it index funds, mutual funds, single stocks, a mix of all those? Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's, it's a bit of a mix. I mean, generally, you know, index funds ish uh, on the just the, the non-retirement stuff and on the retirement stuff. It's you know kind of split between IRA and 401k, and then the Roth because I started it so late. Um, it's the twenty nine thousand, so um, it's just kind of a split. Gotcha. And then same for the the amount, the forty thousand and the five twenty nine. That's an in index funds. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now backing up here, just big picture to your story. You said you have an, a, a net worth about negative two fifty in in two thousand eight. You're at one point mm-hmm. seven now. So in the last what twelve years here, you you've kind of had a two million dollar swing. As much as you're comfortable sharing here, how what's the two hundred and fifty in in debt? How did that how did that situation happen? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I, um, it was not, not the net worth, negative 255, that was just the debt. And that was made up basically of, um, half on a HELOC that I consolidated all on the HELOC and, um, half was the mortgage on the house. And, um, I just, uh, went through a divorce and divorce is very expensive. And, um, I made the decision to keep the house because it was important for the kids for stability. And that's how I ended up with, with that amount of debt not thinking about the housing market crashing and the house not worth the value that we thought it was back in early 20, 2008. So that's how that happened. But still was a really good decision because it still was good for the kids to have that stability. I just had to hold on until 2012 when I could get enough out of my house to downsize and make a small enough mortgage on the new house to make it comfortable mm. for us. So then you... So it's really just a lot of patience. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about it. And I don't, I don't mean to press you at all. And, and feel free to not answer if, if you don't want to. How did you move on from that and say, look, here's my situation. And now you've obviously done a phenomenal job getting to where you're at. How did, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that, right? Whether yeah. it's, it's divorce or losing a job or, or maybe an investment failure, right? There's situations that happen that kind of push you down. And maybe for some people, they feel like they, they are held down, right? And they maybe can't right. rebound, rebound from it. So I guess, I mean, less on the intellectual side or what, you know, the steps you took emotionally, though, how did you re-gear yourself back up and move forward and, and, and put that behind you, I guess, in a sense, and get to where you are today now? 
You know, that's a really good question. And it's something that I learned and I teach it to my kids today. And that is that if you don't take responsibility for your own life, you cannot fix what you do not own. It is absolutely what it boils down to. And I had to come to accept that I, I have this debt. That is my responsibility. I need to address it. I need to address it for myself, for my kids to have that stability. And that is what kept me moving forward. And sometimes people look at me today and the, the few that know that I have rental properties and whatnot, and they say, well, you just got lucky. But I don't believe in luck. I believe that I worked very hard. I researched. I did a lot to get myself in a position so that I became lucky. I did my homework, and I didn't allow fear to keep me from doing things. So like the rental property, I'd never bought a rental property, and yes, it was scary, but was a learning experience. And had I said I make mistakes, of course I did. But the difference is, is that I never allowed that to be an excuse to not move forward and get up, dust myself off, and keep moving forward. And that I think is what makes makes me where I am today. Well, it's a, a great answer, really inspiring, and, and congrats on your your success. Obviously, mm-hmm. so so you're pretty split, right, between the market and real estate, mm-hmm. and and then you have some in your five twenty nine. Do you ever think like? Hey, let's just sell the real estate and be done with it. Sell everything in the market. I mean, you have two million. I don't know what you spend annually. Well, we can get into that, but or do you just you want to keep riding this for the long haul? Um, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep the rental properties for the long haul. Um, you know, the kids will inherit that, and um, and then I just I you know honestly I, I'd like to try my hand at other types of investments. So yeah, I'm just going to keep moving forward, and and you know right now my job I'm, I'm happy there, so. I'll stick around and when I'm not happy, then at least I have freedom right now to, to leave that and find something else that, that does make me happy. Do you have like a target net worth that you want to get to or a passive income goal at some point? I, I'm not a, not a sit still person. So I think that I will always have some form of work to do, some sort of job, even if it's just part time. So it's, it's really just more the, the, um, security and the, the freedom aspire to. And how do you define that security and freedom? Honestly, I feel like I'm there. I mean, the fact that I can, if I'm not happy with my job, that I can, I can quit and it doesn't really impact us. I mean, we'd have to reel a few things in, but for the most part, I don't even know that the kids would even notice. So I think that that, that's what I look for. I look for the opportunity that if I wanted to take six months off, I can do that and find something else to do down the road. And it doesn't have to be a big job. It can be something smaller. So that that's what I look for. And knowing that I can do that for myself is is really important. As you've gone along this journey from, from digging out of debt to getting these rental properties and the market investments, what do you think that your savings rate has been along the way, percentage-wise? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I It varies because, like I said, the rental properties I bought we're all fixer-uppers, and so any money that was coming in pretty much was going back out to do roofs and HVAC systems and whatnot. But I but I always put money aside, so maybe between 30 and 40%. Wow, so you've been able to do this without even a 70 or 80% savings rate. Yes. That's pretty remarkable. So as you've gone on this journey, have you had career switches too, or have you kind of been in that same? I mean, you mentioned the temp work and everything. So I'm assuming that you've had some career changes and movements and some unpredictable situations. How has that kind of played a role in you being able to kind of navigate straightforward path to get to where you are? Yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, 
the jobs are generally the same, um, you know, maybe a smaller role or a bigger role, but generally the, the same type of work. The I think probably that when I look back, the biggest lesson people ask me is, is how did you get through the times when you were unemployed? How did you get through that? Because there were no jobs to apply for me. So it was, it was, you know, what did you do? And I found that, you know, you, you buy a, a sack of, you know, like a thing of flour and, and eggs. You can make yourself some homemade pasta. You can, you know, do a lot of cooking at home. You can have a lot of fun at home at the table. And there's all kinds of things. And all of those little things just got me through. And so when I look back and, and reflecting back, I realized that you really don't need a lot of money to have a comfortable life. I mean, it won't be flashy, but you won't be driving fancy cars and taking fancy vacations. But not about that for us. So we we are pretty happy where we are in our lives right now. And that I think is probably the biggest takeaway for me looking back. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit. A lot of our listeners kind of write in about happiness levels and everything as it relates to millionaires. Would you say that you were still pretty happy when you were just starting this journey or are you much more happy now that you've kind of got to that freedom level? Well I'm I'm proud of myself now. Um and I was happy when I started the journey because it's very exciting. You know, there's, there's, to me, there's, there's so much to learn. You grow, you stretch. And I enjoy that. I enjoy the learning and listening to other people. And um, I mean, your show is great. I just, I love hearing the stories. Do you think you're more happy now than you were five, seven, eight, ten years ago? No, I don't know that I'd say I'm more happy. I think I'm as, as happy, but I'm, I think I just, I, I think I add the security piece now and I, I am, I think more confident in things that I do because I've learned so much from the journey. Yeah, totally. Now you said that your house is three twenty five. Is that paid for too? I owe eighty four on it, okay. and I refinanced it, so I got a fifteen year uh, fixed with a two point eight seven five okay. on it. So this is a common question too: Is do millionaires pay off their houses? Do they not? If they do, why did they, especially with rates as low as they are? But I kind of like to get a little color around that. So of your of your friends and family and the people you hang out with, do most of them know your level of wealth at this point? No, no. Would they be shocked? Yes, yes, because I am a millionaire next door type person. You know, my cars are secondhand. Um, We shop at the secondhand store for clothes. We modest vacation, but we enjoy that. We enjoy our, it's more about the time together and more about the experiences. And that's something that you don't need a lot of money to, to do. So, you know, we just, we have a good time. We have dinner together, the kids, you know, the four of us and yeah, we just enjoy, we enjoy each other. I just want to kind of piggyback off that. How much do you hold in an emergency fund and just cash? Right now it's, it's actually about 20,000. But I'm going to up that. Okay. And having this debt, you have about, what is it, 180 on the consolidated loan on the five rental properties. And then I'm just going back at our notes here, 80, about 80,000 right on the primary mortgage or 190. So all in what, 270 or so? Yeah, about that. Do you think about prioritizing to pay that off? Does it not really bother you as much? Yeah. You know, I, so the, the house, I, I just keep paying the monthly rate, um, but I think when it probably gets to 30, it's probably not worth it to keep it. So I kind of, you know, keep it in the back of my mind to pay it off at that point. And then as far as the rental properties, you know, that's a, a 15 year with a seven year term and that term's going to be coming up here in a couple of years. So I guess I'll kind of see what the market looks like and if I can refinance it and what that looks like. 
And then I'll make a decision then if I pay it off or if I refinance it. Yeah. Okay, great. So I want to jump into some rapid fire questions and then we'll get into some mistakes and advice here. So what's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Probably the one I drive now is the CRV and it was 22 when I bought it. Okay. Uh, what about the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Uh, that would be uh, $150. Okay. What about a pair of jeans? Most expensive pair of jeans? I don't spend a lot on, on blue jeans. I think the most extravagant I've ever gotten is $80. Okay. What item or experiences throughout this whole financial journey have been worth spending more money on to you and what has not been worth spending money on? Uh, education. 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 I, that was I mean, I, I bought a lot of books to keep them and I marked them up and I encourage the kids to read them. Uh, but yeah, education was, was very worth it. Okay. Uh, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Uh, 27. No. Yeah, 2017. You added seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in two or three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, think, I think that's, yeah. It was because the property that I bought, because it was so little. That helped a lot. And it just kind of went bonkers a little bit there. It was, you know, it was almost like I had to double check to make sure that that those numbers were right. But that's really what gave me a little boost up. <laughs> like, yeah, between 27 and 2018, somewhere in there. It wasn't that long ago. Okay. Uh, have you ever used a financial advisor? Yes. I use Fidelity. Okay. Uh, how much do you spend a year, household spending? Um, probably expensive, probably like 60. Okay. And then I know you mentioned uh, books, reading books and highlighting. What have been either the books that have, have helped you or meant the most to you? And, and we'll couple that with websites or financial tools. Anything you recommend? Yes. Um, I recommend all of the Robert Kiyosaki books. I've read a lot of them. Um, I like uh, West Moss's You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think. Uh, one of my favorites is an old one that I found at a secondhand store called Automatic Wealth by Michael Masterson. Um, I read Wealth Can't Wait. And then the one I read just last month is Extreme Ownership. So those are the types of things that I read. Okay. And then Wealth Wealth Can't Wait, that's David Osborne? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a good one as well. I read I read that last year. Okay, range of household income through your working life? Uh, let's see. When I was on, when I was doing temp work, I think the, the least I made was 19800 and then now I'm up to 112,000. Wow, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. That's amazing. And then last just rapid fire question here, what does it mean to be fulfilled to you or to be happy? What kind of drives you as a person? The, the challenge. I I I love the challenge of growing and stretching and learning and I that my passion is right now is just helping people find their way to financial independence. There's just no greater gift that I get when I see people get that light bulb in their head and go, I, I get it. And I can see the path of how do I get out of this debt and how do I build my future and that it's not going to take 30, 40 or 50 years that I can, I can do this, you know, and then they, they yeah. look at my story and yeah, and it, it inspires them. And, you know, it's a good feeling to know that I can give back that way. Yeah. And you blog at the piece of the pie.com, right? Mm hmm. And, I yeah, just your story here. I just I clicked about me, and the first thing you have is I signed my divorce papers knowing I was taking on about a hundred and thirty thousand of debt, a hundred and twenty in mortgage and stability for my kids, child support, yes, spousal support, no, two thousand eight separated, two thousand nine divorced. And then as I scroll down, one of the things I come across is goals, smart goals. 
and and staying motivated and and breaking mm-hmm. down a, a long term goal. So it sounds like goal setting has been a big piece of this journey to kind of turn this around financially. You know what? It's so funny you ask me that because I was not a goal setter in early in my life, and I thought I would try it, and it just didn't work. And so I started doing it using that smart goal, and I thought, all right, so I gave myself some goals. And I found that I finished all of my goals that I set for the year in three months. And I thought, oh, so I set myself some other goals. And then I finished those in another, like maybe four months. And so I started to do more and more of that. And now I'm at the point where my goals, I actually divide them. It sounds really nerdy, but I, <laughs> I divide them up into categories. So personal goals, professional goals, financial goals, you know, family goals. And as I check things off throughout the year, I can see where my attention is and then I can kind of navigate a little bit so that I can be more well-rounded, we'll say. And, uh, but yeah, I am very, very goal oriented. How, how has your goal setting kind of evolved since you first started doing it? Yeah. When I first started, you know, like I said, I, I was not um, a goal person. I mean, I pretty much just kind of lived life day to day. And then, I don't know, after the divorce, it was, um, you know, the, the reality of the situation and, um, you have a lot of time on your hands. And so I, I started looking into what smart goals are and, uh, started to apply that. I figured I'd give it another shot. And, um, and I just, I, for the longest time, I underestimated how much I could actually do. And when you keep track of it and you look at it every day, it really empowered me to move forward and see, well, what else could I get done in such a short period of time? Like one year I set a goal to read one book a month. You know, when you have a day job and you've got kids and the rental properties and so many things going on, but I still read 14 books that year. And I thought, you know, just by setting a goal of doing that. And so it's just things like that, that I set, set goals to do, you know, like teaching the kids about financial independence and what that means. Now they're in the high school, you know, that becomes a little bit more tangible for them. Actually, last year, I'll tell you a funny story. So last year, with each of my kids, I did a a week's vacation with each of them, just a one-on-one. And I thought, you know, instead of me holding on to the money I put aside for the food for the trip, I would let them manage it. So each one of them for our week, they got, I told them, I said, you guys get the, the food budget. You manage it. You decide the restaurant. I said, this is pretty much, you know, we said however much we did for a day, whatever is left, you get to keep it. And it was really interesting because they were, both of them were doing their math, say, you know, okay, no, no, we're not going to eat at this restaurant. We'll go to this other restaurant. Or do you really need to have coffee in the morning every day kind of thing? So it was, it was really interesting. And then at the end of it, you know, they got whatever cash was left and they got to keep that to put however they wanted. So that was a lot of fun. Huh. And they didn't want to just skimp, skimp, skimp on the vacation at all? No, no, they didn't skimp on the vacation so much as where we ate. I mean, it was still, we all ate, but yeah, we ate, but it just wasn't going to be, you know, like when it was just me paying for stuff, they were like, oh, let's just go here. I'm hungry. Oh, let's yeah. go here. I'm hungry. Now it's more like, well, yeah, I can, I can wait until dinner. I don't have to have a, a snack right now kind of thing. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and gave a lot of opportunity for conversation. Totally. It's funny how easy it is for us to spend other people's money, right? Even as kids. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and how old are they? Uh, now they're 16 and 17. Okay. And are they well are aware of your wealth at all? Uh, they know of the rental property. They know that I'm frugal and that I stretch my dollars. And so things like 
you know, and they want uh, to, you know, get in one of those new fancy phones or fancy clothes or whatnot, I always tell them, I said, you know, we can look at the secondhand store, you still get the clothes, but you get money in your pocket as opposed to just spending it all and getting the clothes, you know, and so thinking about what's more important, like my daughter, you know, she has an opportunity to, to go to Costa Rica this summer. And I told her, I said, you know, if you put in a third of that money, you, you can go. And so she was very motivated. She found babysitting jobs and, and all kinds of stuff, used her holiday money and her birthday money to, to, to get that, to pay off that third of the trip. And there were times when she thought, ah, oh, I really want to go do this. My friend is going to this, you know, party and I need this money for it. But I want to go to the Costa Rica trip too. And I said, well, then you have to decide what's more important. And that became a nice learning lesson for her as well. So. Yeah, I think that's awesome. You've definitely done some, some great things and with your kids. So just to kind of wrap up here, Tiffany, what, what are some of the mistakes that, that you've made that you would counsel others to avoid and, and couple that with maybe some of the advice that you would give to somebody who's just kind of starting out on their journey? Don't make excuses. Just look at the situation you're in and take responsibility. There's no right or wrong. It's really just a point in time and that you have the opportunity, you have the power to change that. And just to start and start right away and to, to learn to manage your money. I mean, I used to budget and count every red cent because every red cent counted when you're, when you're on unemployment. But now it's more like I just kind of keep a ballpark of where the spending is. And if I see we go a little too far, then we just kind of reel it in a little bit. Uh, but I don't count every red cent like I used to. But that's, that's probably to take ownership of your life and you just really, you can't fix what you don't own. And don't make excuses and just, you know, open your eyes and take that leap of faith and trust yourself and trust your gut. Put yourself in a position to be lucky. That's awesome. Once again, Tiffany, unemployed, $250,000 in debt to net worth of $1.7 million, a $2 million turnaround. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.